broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. And here we go, Raider Nation. Another day here on Raider Nation Radio 920. My man, Damon Cotton, back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I'm in the home studios at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center a little earlier today, uh, talking to head coach Josh McDaniels and, of course, checking out a little bit of practice and now back here in the home studio. And that's after being a day away from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studios at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. And so I'm um, three for three so far this week. Haven't been in the studio all week, but uh, my man, Damon Cotton's definitely holding it down in a major way. We definitely appreciate that, as always. But it was great being out at Allegiant Stadium. It was great to be there for the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Year Award announcement that went to Coach Brent Lewis from Awapa Valley. Uh, it was so funny having to hold on to that little bit of information all show long, waiting until uh, till we got an opportunity to actually talk to him. And he actually knew he was the winner of the of the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Year Award and thought that that was really cool that him and his, uh, his, uh, his players were there at Allegiant Stadium, got to tour the stadium, and uh, also get to hear that announcement. So uh, didn't realize that it was coming off of a, of a playoff loss which kind of stinks as uh, coach Brent Lewis had mentioned to me on the show but uh, still I know that Moapa Valley had a heck of a season going undefeated in the regular season and uh, like DeMond said uh, and matter of fact you know DeMond it's funny you made a joke talking about Perump was the toughest the toughest game that they played all season long and it, it really could have been right I mean they, like he said he's like there was a chance that they could have won that game and you got you know you just fell a little short but man <laughs> Uh, Perump was right there with them, and, and they ended up going undefeated all regular season. So there you go, a little tip of the cap to uh, to Perump. I mean, winning seven six, it's got to be a hard fall game. I've never Hell heard yeah. it was an easy seven to six victory, right, right? But it's just they also won another game eight to six as well. So that's been when they weren't blowing teams out. That that defense had to be stout. Yeah, to, to just be having those like one score slug them out games. They had two of those on their season. I looked at the schedule. And then, man, that playoff game had to be a rough one. Like, you could still feel the Oh, yeah, no. Well, coach was tough. I felt bad, man, because, again, I didn't realize. I thought that they were preparing for uh, the playoff game coming up this week. I didn't realize that they had already played and then lost. And so I really felt bad, you know, because you could tell that it stung. Even as coach was trying to, you know, talk to me about just the season in general and what the team had done and, you know, getting back out there and next season. And just, I mean, you could just see it in his eye. And I know it's radio, and so uh, nobody listening could see it. But. I feel like listening, you can almost hear it, right? You can almost hear the the pain was still there, the the, the sting of losing that game after having that kind of a season. And then when he said what the se- uh, senior class had done, had basically never lost the game until that game right there, That's that's got to be a tough pill to swallow, my man. And then the way it would have planned out perfectly, I just know it, things never go according to plan, but he would have been talking to you after winning in the semifinals and then it would have been like, yeah, getting ready for state here at Allegiant Stadium. And it just didn't work out that way. And it's like, ah, man, you get this nice, you get this nice award, but it's just bittersweet when right. you get it because you're coming off of that loss. No doubt, no doubt. So uh, here we go. You know, back, like I said, uh, almost back to normal. I should be back in the home studio, the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio tomorrow. That's what I'm banking on. But then on Friday, be back out of the studio, man. I'm almost like Cofield. I'm almost like Steve Cofield. Cofield and company on our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas. He makes a living with not being in studio. I mean, he is all over the place. He does a fantastic job of being able to generate his show from just about all over town. And I think that's awesome. 
I mean, I really do. Uh, that's a that's a cool thing. It's great to be out there. The more the more that you're out in the public, the more that people are able to see you, and that's just. That's just promotion for the radio station, promotion for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. So I, I love being out and about, but, man, Cofield does it right. So uh, I'm getting there, man. I'm catching up. I'm starting to catch up at least this week, right? Next week now, Cofield will be in six different places in five, on, on five different days. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to do my, my best Steve Cofield impersonation and try to be out there and, like I said, promote and, and be in different locations. So uh, on Friday, of course, I'll be at Buffalo Wild Wings, give you that location a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but tomorrow I think I will be back in the Finley Cadillac performance studio now got a lot to get to on today's show we have a lot to get to on every day show and and that's a good that's a good thing that's a beautiful thing about uh this show and this station here radio nation radio 920 coming up at 2 30 as it's wednesday we like to start, start start to turn the page to the next team up on the schedule and i know a lot of fans aren't all super pumped up and excited and fired up about the next game but the next game is still the next game and i know I know that there's a group of people that are excited about the next game, and that's the players in the locker room. And why do I know that? Because every player that we talked to in the locker room following the game on Sunday kept saying, hey, it's a 24-hour rule, clear it, and then boom, get back out there. The next game is the best game because it's got to go out there. Again, none of these players want to lose. You know, make no mistake about it. All these guys want to win. At one point in their lives, they were the very best of the very best, and that's why they're where they are right now in the NFL. So there's nothing more than they want to do than go out there and play another game. It's just like me and just like DeMond when we have a bad show, and we don't do that very often, but every once in a while we have a show that doesn't live up to our standards. And you know what we can't wait for? The next show. Because <laughs> you're only as good as your next show, and so uh, that's what they have up next. They got the Denver Broncos, so we'll start turning the page and looking at Denver. And this time around, it's in Denver, and the Raiders have had their way with Denver the last five times. They won five in a row against the Denver Broncos, and JT the Brick says it all the time, and he said it on our Raider roundtable that we did at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center on Tuesday with Lincoln Kennedy. He said, hey, I know for a fact that you know Nathaniel Hackett, not, not Nathaniel Hackett, excuse me, Vic Fangio not being able to beat the, the Raiders and getting swept a couple years in a row by the Raiders was a big reason why he got let go. Uh, there's nothing more than, than those folks in Denver want – than the Broncos to beat the Raiders. And, of course, it's new ownership now. We know that. Uh, there's a new head coach there, Nathaniel Hackett, but uh, the results are the same, right? The Raiders have won five in a row against the Denver Broncos. Josh Jacobs has monster games against the Denver Broncos. I mean, it's just facts. It's just what happens. And so uh, I know that they're going to want to win this game. And of course, the Raiders are going to want to get back on the winning track because they're on a three-game losing streak. So Arnie Stapleton from the AP will join us at 2.30 to give us our first preview of the week, talking all things Denver Broncos and what's the temperature there in Denver, and I don't know if you saw the tweet that I just put out a little while ago, uh, Damon, but Nathaniel Hackett, when he was talking to the media, and this is something we'll ask Arnie Stapleton about, basically said, well, I feel like somebody's got to win this game on Sunday, or somebody's got to win this game on Sunday. Like, it wasn't a real glowing review from the head coach. It was, so I just kind of was like, well, there's that. You know, he said, and I quote, somebody's got to win this game. Uh, and that's what Nathaniel Hackett says of the matchup between the Broncos 3-6 and six and the Raiders 2-7. and seven. So uh, that was from a guy who covers the Broncos there in Denver. But, I mean, it, you know, a lot of people don't like what Joshua Daniel says when he goes to the podium. Could you imagine if he said, well, somebody's got to win the game on Sunday? And in the tweet that you quote tweeted, it says, I'm now convinced this game is going to end in a tie. Like, what? <laughs> right. Man. <laughs> you know when um, Lincoln, he said yesterday, C. Wood, he's like, oh, he, he called us the dumbest team in America? Yep. I'm done? Yep. If I'm in the locker room, I'm like, I'm, I'm not saying I'm done, but if I'm in Denver, I'm, what do you mean, coach? Right, Somebody's exactly. got to win. Well, no kidding. Somebody's got to win. Get us in position to win then. Right, exactly. And it's funny when Lincoln brought up what, uh, what Bill Callahan said and, and Charles Woodson getting upset about it. I remember that 
like it was yesterday when that happened. And I don't mean to derail things and go back to an old conversation or old Raider team, but, man, I remember when Bill Callahan said that, and I was angry for the Raiders. I was angry for those players because I was like, how in the hell is your head coach going to come out there and say something like that? And it reminded me of the time that uh, Tony LaRussa, who at the time was the Oakland A's coach, he called Ricky Henderson the village idiot. And you know me, I'm, you know me. I'm a Ricky Henderson dude. Like, that's my guy. And when he said that, I, and I like Tony LaRussa. I always liked Tony LaRussa as a head coach. But when he said that, that ran me hot. Man, that ran me hot. I was like, oh, you ain't going to talk about that dude like that. So uh, Tony LaRussa became, uh, he was enemy number one in my book uh, once he said that. And I remember when Bill Callahan said that about the Raiders, oh, they got to be the dumbest team in football or something, something to that extent. Uh, that was that was all bad. So I thought that was pretty funny when Lincoln brought that back up because, again, it, it just kind of flashed back to almost yesterday like it happened, and it obviously was a long time ago, but it felt like it was just the other day. So Arnie Stapleton will join us at 2.30 to talk all things Denver Broncos at 3.30. Paloma Villacana, Fox 5 Sports, she joins us each and every Wednesday to talk some UNLV. Normally we lead off with the Rebels, the football team. But, Damon, as you very well know, I know you do because I saw you tweeting about it. I saw you uh, championing it. The Running Rebels, the Hoop Squad, Woo! they came up with a big win on a Tuesday night over number 21 ranked Dayton. That was huge. Big win at the Thomas and Mack Center. Oh, man, I want Dayton to go and win every game that they have for the rest of the season so <laughs> it can be just do. the best quality win for the Running Rebels. When Ed Graney was on the show, I said, hey, it's going to be a quality win. Oh, man. How much did you believe that, though? I believed it a lot because here's the thing. It's, oh, the, the Rebels, they can't shoot. The offense. But it's also, you see it in football, you see it in basketball. When you have a team that's going to play defense, you're gonna, they're going to drag you down to them. Yeah, and no, I, and you're that's right. what I'm saying. Like, hey, it's going to be a mud fight. Where you know Tyler Bischoff, the host of the press box, along with Ed Graney, he's like, "Oh, UNLV, they can't shoot." But I, I know it's overused. But if you got that dog in you, yeah. and it's just we're going to be playing defense, though. We're picking you up 94 feet. That's a different type of basketball. And Dayton, they had a lot of tall players, but were these tall guys physical? UNLV were they were just the more aggressive team. When you're creating those turnovers, sometimes the shooting, the offensive ability does not matter. Because I'll let you in on a little secret. Not a lot of teams in college basketball are that good at shooting from three anyway. Okay? <laughs> right, look, I'll say this, and we talked about it uh, today in the in the media room at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Ed Graney was there. Uh, Paul Gutierrez was there, of course, a UNLV alum, and uh, Cassie Soto was there, of course, a UNLV alum. So we were talking some UNLV, and I said straight up, I said, look, man, I don't care if they can't shoot. You know what I mean? Because layups are easy, right? Layups are easy. Boom. If you're creating turnovers like they're creating turnovers, and for anyone who doesn't, follow or watch UNLV basketball or hasn't seen their first three games. They're 3-0, and and they have they've created over 74 turnovers. In three games, they've created over 70-something turnovers. That's incredible. And what they were doing last night to Dayton, that, I mean, that you want to talk about frustrating. That must have been so frustrating. Like you said, those tall cats, man, these guys at UNLV, they were swiping at every ball. They were diving out of bounds. They were picking them up 94 feet. I mean, they were doing everything and everything to mess with them and get in their head and, and just, again, just play, just be that defensive dog like you mentioned. And then once that happens and you start getting turnovers, guess what? Buckets start becoming easier on the other end. All of a sudden, three-pointers start dropping for you. All of a sudden, you're getting and one opportunities. All of a sudden, you believe that you can win. And when you believe you can win, Boy, well, good things happen. So, yeah, i got to give UNLV a lot of credit for that big victory they had last night over 21st-ranked Dayton. So we'll talk with Paloma, all things UNLV, but we're leading off with the running Rebels, no doubt about it. We'll get to the Rebels. I think that she's on her way to Hawaii, as a matter of fact. 
That's who they got up next, and that must be nice because it's been pretty cold out. So I'm sure she's going to enjoy her, uh, her, her little getaway to Hawaii. Her, Steve Cofield, and everyone else that covers uh, UNLV like a glove, they're going to enjoy their little trip to Hawaii and get up out of this weather that we're having here. But uh, we're going to lead off with the Running Rebels when it comes to Paloma at 3.30. At 4 o'clock, Austin Gale from The Ringer uh, used to be part of Pro Football Focus, a uh, lifelong, self-proclaimed Raider fan. Uh, he had a lot to say on The Ringer podcast that he put out. I was listening to it a little earlier today. And his uh, power rankings, he dropped the Raiders all the way down to 31st. And so, I mean, obviously when the team is 2-7 and seven and they're losing games the way that they're losing and you have them power ranked at 31st, you don't have a whole lot of good things to say about the silver and black. But I'll just, you know, going to try to pick his brain on, on what he's seeing as the biggest disconnect, where he thinks the, the, the biggest problems lie as far as the team, not just now but moving forward, how they can improve things, not just now but moving forward. We'll, just, we'll talk all things silver and black with Austin Gale again. Uh, he dropped the team down to 31st. So, DeMond, when they're the 31st team out of 32nd in, in, in the power rank, in any power rank, and I don't really you know, follow power rankings that much, but you know, he listed it on his, on his uh, podcast show. You know, it, it lets you know that they're not doing good, obviously. Yeah, because this past loss, I mean, we got to talk about it. It yeah, was a sure. bad loss. No one no expected it. I mean, Adam Hill, we joked about it on the show. Like, there's no way they can lose. He said, Adam, I remember this Adam Hill. He said, Demond, clip this for next week. Use this as a rejoin. If the Raiders lose, like, they can't lose this game. So we all expect that. So when it comes to ranking teams in the NFL, when you have a loss that bad, it's got to reflect in the standings. I know that it's imaginary in the NFL, but when you're ranking teams, yeah, yeah, it's just a bad loss matters. No doubt, no doubt. And, and I think everyone will agree that it was a bad loss, including the Raiders. I don't think there's anyone in that locker room, that front office, or that coaching staff that does not think that that was a bad loss. And so, I mean, you know, just like head coach Josh McDaniel says all the time, it is what it is. But uh, we'll talk to Austin Gale coming up at 4 o'clock, get his thoughts on the silver and black. And then you mentioned Adam Hill. He'll join us at 4.30 from ESPN Las Vegas and the RJ. And he'll talk to us not only about the Raiders, but he'll also talk to us about the XFL. He was at the... He was at the draft. You were at the draft earlier today as well. It's been what going on for the last couple of days. Uh, they got the what the ex the the Vegas Vipers. That's the that's the team here led by Rod Woodson, right? Mm-hmm. The Vegas Vipers, man. I mean, the second football town, <laughs> second team in town. You're I'm just interested. Get some Vipers merch. Uh, Rod Woodson. He was wearing you know the team hat, the team yeah. the team quarter zip. Is looking pretty nice. Okay, all right. I'm I'm interested, and I always I root for everyone to succeed. I do. I'm very interested though uh, in how. This XFL or this version of the XFL, how does it have sustainability? Does it have the power to stick around? That's my big question, right? Because we've seen so many different leagues start up and start up, and, and they have hopes, and they have a good business plan. And, you know, the latest great business plan is, well, we're not trying to compete with the NFL. We're just trying to be another league along with the, uh, uh, you know, the NFL. And so um, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll, that's one of the first questions I want to ask Adam is, what he thinks this league is doing and how they're doing it differently so they have sustainability, so they can stick around. Because, again, that's been the biggest issue. It's not that, you know, it's not that all these leagues aren't good or don't have a good plan, but they don't have a good long-term plan. Their plans just seem kind of fizzle out. Yeah, the USFL, they are also starting up their season. Like, you know, they're also putting out promotional material. And I remember, like, the first week of the USFL, mm-hmm. we had someone on, and we were talking about, oh, they're doing numbers in Birmingham, the yeah. numbers across social yeah. and TV. They're looking good. But like you said, it just fizzled out. Yeah, that was uh, Emily Van Buskirk, matter of fact. She was covering it, and she really enjoyed the the USFL. And uh, Daryl Johnston, the, the fullback that used to play for the Cowboys, a longtime fullback for the Cowboys. Obviously, he does uh, broadcasting now as well, and was the commissioner of the USFL. Uh, she was really good friends with, so she had a lot of good insight on it. But it just seems like these 
these leagues just have so so many struggles sticking around for the long haul. So we'll see. And Adam Hill will uh, give it to us straight because that's what he does. So he'll talk all things Raiders. He'll talk all things XFL. We'll do that at 4.30. So the guest lineup today, 2.30, Arnie Stapleton, 3.30, Paloma Villacana, 4 o'clock, Austin Gale, 4.30, Adam Hill. Plus, we'll have some sound bites from head coach Josh McDaniels, who talked in pretty good length today at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center and talked about the plan a lot. Uh, I think he opened up and, and really gave us a lot of good information, so we'll get to that as well. Got plenty to get to on today's show, as we do each and every day. Let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. You know, we've had so many different directions that we've gone talking about this Raiders team and talking about what this Raiders team is supposed to look like or what we think it should look like moving forward, what they may be looking for, players on the team that they need to to build around. And, and, you know, part part of that plan that head coach Josh McDaniels talked about a little bit earlier today, again, you'll hear some sound bites from him. And then we get you know, fixated, at least I get fixated a lot on the defensive side of things because I really would like to see the defense at least. I'm not asking for a strong, solid, shutdown defense. I'm not looking for that defense like, you know, like the Niners have right now where they got the number one defense in the league and you know that they're going to really hold it down. Or even the team that the Raiders are facing this week, the Denver Broncos have a really good defense. The only team that scored over 30 points against the Broncos are the Raiders, right? I mean, everyone else is basically held to 20 points or less. The Broncos are doing a really good job defensively. But you know, it's funny. I was looking back and I started looking through some numbers when it came to the Raiders and their defense. And a lot of people are down on Patrick Graham. I remember when he got hired, I was pretty excited about it. I thought that he was going to do a really good job. And I thought he did a pretty good job with the Giants. And I know there's a lot of conversations of people like, no, he didn't do a good job. That defense was terrible. I know we had uh, Danielle McCartan on from uh, WFAN in New York. And she was like, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the defense. So a lot of people are down on Patrick Graham. But the one thing that Patrick Graham defenses have done outside of this year for the most part is they've gotten to the quarterback and they've created turnovers. And honestly, Raider Nation, and you, and this is where I want you to chime in at 702-365-9200 or the text line at 69187, keyword R&R, you can tell me what you want from your defense, right? If you can, if you can design a defense to be a certain way, what would you want it to be? For me, I would want it to be what I've seen from Patrick Graham and, and as I was doing research, what Patrick Graham's defenses have done. And what is that? Getting to the quarterback and creating turnovers. And those two go hand in hand. If you get pressure, you're going to probably get some turnovers. If you get turnovers, you're probably going to get pressure. Those two things go hand in hand. And when the Raiders went to the playoffs, and we always go back. We know what happened last year. We know last year the kind of season they had, right? I mean, you can go back and look. If you just want to look at their defense in 2021, the Raiders created 15 turnovers total. We know Gus Bradley's not a guy that his defenses create very many turnovers. They had six picks and nine fumble recoveries. But they had 35 sacks, so they were able to get to the quarterback. So that's good. But the turnovers just aren't very much. So let's go back to the last time the Raiders made the playoffs before that, 2016. I never thought, Raider Nation, and I know Raider Nation's been around for a long time following this team, right? And so we all remember like, every time the team was good. I never thought that that defense was good. And that was also led by Khalil Mack, who was Defensive Player of the Year that, that year. I never thought that defense was that great, right? I just felt like the one thing that they did really well was what? Create turnovers. They were a very opportunistic. DeMond, how many times in the offseason did we use that word, opportunistic, when we talked about the defense, right? I mean, didn't so we use times. it a bunch? 
<laughs> so many times. And then, like, when we had our projections, like you said, they needed to make those timely ones, opportunistic, whichever word you want to use. And they had the chance to make them in that Colts game. Right. But then we just see the difference of just making those plays. Right, exactly. Because that would have been the perfect time to be opportunistic. That's the perfect word for it. It really is. And the thing about it is, when I look at this Raiders roster right now, and I look at the players on the defensive side of the ball, and honestly, I see the, the guys on the offensive side of the ball that just have natural playmaking instincts. I think that that's a phrase that we all need to start to really think about. Natural playmaking instincts. Maybe that's just a title. Whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter to me. But that's what this Raiders defense needs. In 2016, when they went to the playoffs, the last time they went to the playoffs before last year, the team in general created 30 turnovers. 30. Remember what I said about Eric Allen when he said what his defensive coordinator used to say about interceptions, how many interceptions that the target goal would be? And we said it was a crazy number because the Raiders would never hit that. It was 20. He said that my defensive coordinator said, Eric, our, our goal is always 20 interceptions every year. In 2016, when the Raiders went to the playoffs, you know how many interceptions they had? 16. They had 16 interceptions that year. They had 14 fumble recoveries. 30 turnovers, and they had 25 sacks to go along with that. And the sacks numbers aren't even that high because Khalil Mack had 15. He had 15 himself, and the rest of the squad had 10. But look at the turnovers. That's what I'm talking about right there. Players with natural playmaking instincts. That's what that is. And that was led by Reggie Nelson. Remember how much Reggie Nelson used to get burned? But you know what he did? He came up with turnovers in big, timely moments. He was able to create the turnovers and get the ball back to the Raiders' offense, and they were able to go make plays. He had five interceptions that season. That led the team. 30 turnovers. So what does this have to do with Patrick Graham? Let's go to what he did in Miami. Let's, we'll just go back to 2019. I feel like that's a good body of work going all the way back to 2019. Dolphins' team wasn't very good. They only had 16 turnovers on the year, but 13 of them were picks. 13 picks, right? Not bad. When's the last time the Raiders had 13 picks, right? I mean, they just don't, they don't create turnovers like that. They don't. The last time they had 13 picks was probably going back to 2016 where they had 16. And then the, and then the Dolphins only caused three uh, fumble recoveries and they had 23 sacks. Their defense wasn't that great, but they did come up with some plays here and there. Now, let's go back to the Giants because this is where I really thought that Patrick Graham was starting to do something. And this is why I think, and I really do feel like, if he has the right players in place, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is all fool's gold. If it is, tell me it is. If you're not buying it, don't tell me you're not buying it. I'm okay with that. I'm always okay with that. 2020 with the Giants, they had 22 turnovers, 11 picks, 11 fumble recovers, and 40 sacks. 40. So, yeah, they might have gave up a bunch of, of yards, but they created plays when plays needed to be had. 11 picks, 11 fumble recoveries, 40 sacks. Last season, when I thought that Patrick Graham was going to have an opportunity to be a head coach, based off of what he was able to do with that Giants defense that wasn't a, a star-studded affair. They didn't have some big-time names all over that defense. They created 22 turnovers, 15 picks, 7 fumble recoveries, and 34 sacks, Damon. 15 picks, 7 fumble recoveries, 34 sacks. Guess what they're doing? They're creating turnovers. They're making plays. Natural instincts to create plays. That's what this Raiders team needs. When I'm looking at the defense and when I'm looking at the construction of the defense, I'm looking for guys that are natural playmakers. You know who's a natural playmaker? Max Crosby. You know who else is a natural playmaker? Chandler Jones. Problem is, Chandler Jones hasn't made plays. <laughs> right? I mean, there's just there's no, there's no way to dance around it. He hasn't made any plays. That's unfortunate. 
right? One of the first things that I got excited about when they signed Chandler Jones was he's a guy who causes a lot of strip sex. He did that. I mean, go back and look what he did last year with the, with the Cardinals. Even though we're looking at sacks numbers and he had 10 sacks, look at what he did as far as strip sacks. And he told me when I asked him the question at the press conference, he said, that's an art that I'm going to try to teach these other guys. Well, guess what? The Raiders, they've only got to the quarterback 10 times. Seven of them have been Max Crosby, and there hasn't been too many strip sacks, and Chandler Jones has done nothing. So that's unfortunate. But if you look at it, and you look at it from you know, a, a broader lens, you realize, okay, that's a guy that has playmaking ability, and he's good at creating turnovers. He just hasn't done it this year. And so it kind of lets me know that, that you know, that's not – going to happen. I don't think that all of a sudden he's going to get his sea legs underneath him and he's going to be a monster the last eight games of the season. I just don't see it. You know, I'll be pleasantly wrong. I just don't see it. So what they need across from Max Crosby is they need a guy that can make plays. Max Crosby doesn't even get a lot of strip sacks. He gets sacks, but he doesn't get a lot of strip sacks. That would be a nice arsenal. That'd be a nice weapon to add to his arsenal to be able to take his game to the next level. And you know the one thing I know about Max Crosby? He works on his game every single year. He tries to improve his game every single year. What he's done really well this year, besides just get to the quarterback, besides just get pressures, he's been doing really well against the run as well. And that hasn't been his thing, right? So there's, there's you know, guys on the defense that I think are good players. You know why they brought Jerron Harmon in? He is a playmaker who, creates, who has natural instincts in creating plays. I mean, that's who he is. And right now he leads the team with two interceptions. Right? I mean, unfortunately, that's all they have. They have a, a very small amount of, of turnovers that they've created this year. Three interceptions, three fumble recoveries. Jerron Harmon has two. Amik Robertson has one. They need guys with natural instincts that know how to go and make plays. If they can get that, this defense can start to move forward. I'm not saying it's going to happen this week against Denver. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year. I'm just saying if you're Patrick Graham, you're Dave Ziegler, you're Champ Kelly, you're those cats in the front office and the coaching staff, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for guys that make have instincts and make plays, and it just comes natural to them. That's what you need. 702-365-9200. Let's talk to our guy, Raider Mac. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, Q. Hey, DeMar. Good show. Hey, um, you know, I know it's just starting off, but you guys always put every – I like all the guests and stuff that you guys got going on. Hey, let me let me just yeah, – for a quick second. You know, I'm always positive about this team, but, but here, here's the problem with the whole organization. We, we, we just got that that losing mentality. We, 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 we won two seasons, two out of 20 seasons. Then I hear Vinny and um, a couple of other – um, JT, you know, and I follow them. I follow them, but I'm hearing these excuses about Darren Waller not there. Hey, the Chargers didn't have their they're starting receivers for a while, and they won a couple of games. Here's the bottom line to to, to all this is that our, our our mentality is just on defense. It's just it's been it's been it's been bad for we've been in the 15th or 20. 20 to almost 27th in, in total defense for the past 20 years. You can go look that up. I'm right. not, it's not nothing I'm making up. No, no, so you're right. You, you're right. We, you've been bringing in all kind of defensive coordinators, all kind of different schemes and everything, and it still ain't working because we still have been bad on defense. So at the bottom, the bottom line now is that you, you got to put something together with the players that's there. Instead of trying to bring in your scheme – 
use the players that you have. And and this ain't nothing against your guy, your safety guy. But 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 Q, he's man. not getting it done. I'll be the first to tell you, he's not getting okay. it done. I'm okay with that. No, okay. Oh, sorry about that. I'm I'm okay with that. That's that's fine. He's not getting it done. But that's why that's why I'm talking about players with natural instincts. I look at the players on the defense, Raider Mac, and and on, honestly, I don't see it. I don't see those players with the natural instincts. And again, you're right about the rankings of the defense. That's why I went back to what matters in my book. You know. Turnovers and sacks, because you don't have to be the best defense. If you make plays, you're going to win games. If you give, just think if you gave, if the Raiders had two more or three more possessions a game, and I know that's asking a lot, but say they had two or three more possessions every game, I feel pretty good that they would score some more points. And I know that the offense has been stale lately. Don't get me wrong. I know it. But if they can make plays, you feel like you're in games, right? With the Colts. Look at the Colts. They came into Allegiant Stadium with a bad de- or a bad offense, but a, a, a really good defense. They felt confident that they can hang in the game. Again, the defense doesn't have to be lights out, but if it can create turnovers naturally, if they can come up with those you know plays like Sam Webb knocking the ball out, and and you know again, good teams that are good at creating turnovers, you know what they do? They fall on that ball. They they create that that turnover. That was a, a, a opportunistic time right there. Raiders didn't make the play. You know, going back to Trayvon Merrick, you know, uh, you, you bring him up all the time. Uh, last year against Washington, opportunistic opportunity, create a turnover. The ball was right in his hands. It hit the ground. That was a turnover. That was a game. He intercepts that ball. That's a win, right? If, uh, if, if my guy uh, Butler falls on the ground on that fumble, the Raiders probably win on Sunday. That's, that's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm bringing up – I'm not talking about where they rank defensively. I don't think they'll ever be a top 10, top 15 defense. Create some turnovers and get sacks. Those two things go hand in hand. If you could do that, you could win games. Arnie Stapleton's up next, talking all things Broncos. It's Rare Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Up next on the schedule for the Silver and Black is a trip to Denver. Take on the Denver Broncos for the second time this season. They won earlier this year, week four, as a matter of fact, at Allegiant Stadium. But now it is week 11, and I think both teams look a, li- a lot different than they did, actually, in week four. Joining us now on the phone lines to talk about the Denver Broncos is Arnie Stapleton from the AP. You can find him on Twitter, at Arnie Stapleton. And, Arnie, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. And let's start right there. How much different do these teams look, at least the Denver Broncos? How much different do they look uh, as opposed to the team that came to Allegiant Stadium week four? Well, I'm, I'm not sure they look too much different. I mean, it, it's kind of like they're stuck in the, in the Groundhog Day, you know. They, they're continuing to lose, you know, one-score games. I mean, the, the the game in Las Vegas on October 2nd, you know, ended up being a nine-point difference, but it was a, you know, a two-point game with just more than two minutes left. Um, so they played a bunch of close games. They can't pull it out. Um, you know, Russell Wilson's having an awful uh, adjustment to Denver, and Nathaniel Hackett is uh, – you know, he's having an awful first year in, in charge of this team. So um, it's kind of like they're spinning their wheels, a lot like the, the Raiders are doing right now. You know, they're, they're, they have different issues, but, you know, they both have struggling quarterbacks. Um, I think scuffling offensive-minded head coaches. Um, it's probably a little bit worse for Nathaniel Hackett than it is for Josh McDaniels, um, although Nathaniel also got a vote of confidence from his owner. But um, he's probably in a little bit more of a precarious position than, than Josh is. As far as just kind of the lineup and the the roster, we know Bradley Chubb got traded at the at the deadline. I mean, there's there's some guys, and, and similar to the Raiders, the 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 Broncos have a lot of guys on IR right now, so that that's also hurting yeah. the team, isn't it? Yeah, that's hurt the, the team. Uh, you know, they're also, they're more banged up on offense right now. You know, they're down to 
a third stringer at, at left tackle and a third stringer at right tackle and a third stringer at center. That may change a little bit going into this game, but, you know, they're really banged up up front. Um, and then, you know, they've, they've lost three of their top four wide receivers. Tim Patrick, you know, he had the ACL in August. You know, Jerry Judy hurt an ankle last week, and uh, K.J. Hamler pulled a hamstring uh, during during the bye. Um, so, you know, they're down to Corlin Sutton and a bunch of other guys. And so, But but even given all the injuries they've had on, on offense uh, up, up front and, and at wide receiver, they're still throwing the ball too much, and they're in shotgun too much. Um, I, I think they're still trying to make it uh, to where Russell Wilson is comfortable. Although you know he got sacked six times and hit eighteen times last week, and, and they're, mm. they're playing out of the shotgun too much. And then, like you said, on, on defense, they're they're missing some key players. You know, Randy Gregory, not surprisingly, is out. Um, you know, that's been his history when he was in mm. Dallas. Uh, they lost Bradley Chubb. He was their best, uh, you know, best front seven guy. Um, uh, for for most of the year, if not all of the year, and then they traded him away to to Miami to get a draft pick next year. So, yeah, they've lost a little bit of that oomph on defense, but they're still playing pretty good on defense. So that that's still their calling card. Let me ask you this about Bradley Chubb: Was that a trade because they didn't want to give him that big salary with the injury history, or was it just, hey, you know what, we can we can move on from him and, like you said, bring in some draft capital and keep building that defense up next season? I think it was a little bit of both. You know, I mean, yes. Uh, He's having a great year this year, but you know he when he got traded, I think he had missed twenty five games and in, in, in his career, and he had twenty six sacks. So you know that that was a little bit of a red flag as far as a guy that was going to make big bucks. But Miami went ahead and forty eight hours later gave him the yeah. hundred nineteen million extension or something. They were willing to do it. I think I think what happened here in Denver was you know they wanted to keep him, but. Then, then you know, you give up so much draft capital to get Russell Wilson here. They lost their first and second round picks this year and next year. So they were looking at not being able to, to do much of anything in the draft in 2023. And to be able to get a, a first-round draft pick back uh, in a trade at the deadline for a guy with an expiring contract, that was pretty pretty nifty for George Payton, uh, you know, here in Denver. Um, but I think he was kind of, you know, painted himself into a little bit of a corner by giving up so much for Russell Wilson and then realizing like, okay, well, here's a, here's an asset I have that, that, you know, is going to be, um, pretty valuable come, come the trade deadline, especially with the team kind of foundering the way it is. Um, so I think it was a little bit of both and, and I think it's in a, it's a win-win, you know, Bradley gets to go and play for a winning team for the first time in his career. And, and, uh, George at least has a, uh, he's not going to have the, uh, the high draft pick, like uh, Seattle's going to get that. You know, they're right. going to be able to re- rebuild again. I mean, they did good with the two picks they got from the Broncos this year. They're going to do it again next year, and, and their uh, Broncos are going to end up with what was originally the San Francisco's first rounder. So it'll be late in the first round, but nevertheless, it's a first round pick, and they were looking at the possibility of not having another one next year. So he had to do with uh, what he did. Arnie Stapleton is our guest. He's from the AP, talking all things Denver Broncos here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. My man DeMond's got one for you. It seems like there are a lot of parallels with the Raiders and the Broncos on offense. You know, a lot of injuries. Yeah. Quarterbacks are underperforming a little bit. But with Josh McDaniels, we know what his system is supposed to look like. With Nathaniel Hackett, what is the what would the ideal offense look like for the Broncos? Well, I don't think any of us know that, you know, because they really don't have an identity. Uh, they, they lost Javante Williams. Uh, you know, their star running back. They, they lost Tim Patrick, their best wide receiver, and they lost Garrett Bowles, you know, the left tackle. So you take three superstars out of the lineup, and 
you know, I get that there's there's a little bit of an identity crisis here. Having said that, you know, they, they, they've catered too much, I think, to, to Russell Wilson, what he wants. You know, Russell wants to be Drew, Drew Brees and, and be a pocket passer. Um, I think organically that might be able to happen a little bit, you know, as he goes on in his career. But I think he's made too strong of a pivot that way. And so they're putting him in the three-wide shotgun just way too much. They don't have the personnel where their uh, skill players are, are, you know, better than, than their opponents right now. And if they were to do that with two tight ends and put big guys in there, I think then they would have the advantage. They don't have the, the, the skill advantage right now, but they stick with it. They're very obdurate about, uh, you know, putting um, Russell in the shotgun so much. I get that he's, you know, more comfortable with three-wide, but – He's getting hit. Most of his sacks are are, are in the shotgun, um, and he's just it's just not working. Um, but they're sticking to it, and they have a bunch of three and outs. And every now and again, it works, but it doesn't. There's no consistency to it. You know, you by not going under center, you you kind of take away. You know, you can't neutralize the pass rush as well, especially with guys that are coming in that are second and third stringers on the offensive line. Um, it's surprising, but they haven't pivoted from that, even though they've had this rash of injuries and they've had you know, an underwhelming uh, quarterback, and there really hasn't been any chemistry to kind of build an identity um, uh, on offense yet. So, um, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a lot of a kind of a groundhog day here in Denver. You know, week after week, they're going to go out there and they're going to put up 14 points at best and um, and probably lose a close game. You know, the, the thing that's uh, amazing about this is, you know, if they only had the – they've got the worst offense in football. If they were only – 23rd right now Carolina Panthers are 23rd in 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 offense and scoring at 20.4 points a game so if they were if Denver was only 23rd which is not good you know that's still pretty bad but if they were just 23rd they'd be 8 and 1 because their defense is so good their defense has given up 16 and a half points a game and um so, so not only are they struggling on offense but they're wasting an historically good defense also do you think with Russell Wilson, him getting that extension as soon as he got to Denver, that he has too much pull with what the offense is going to be running? Yeah, I think there's no question that he's got too much in, in, in you know, what goes on. I mean, here, here's the thing. I don't think it's all Nathaniel Hackett's fault, um, but, but it is his responsibility. I mean, look, you give a quarter of a billion dollars to your quarterback, so you're going to have to, like, make him comfortable, do what he wants, Right. Um, but at the expense of your own career, I mean, he could lose his head coaching job if, if this continues, you know, um, and, and I don't see any signs of it uh, stopping. You know, they're, they're putting the same product on the field you know, week after week. They had 11 days between uh, kind of a quasi-buy when they played a Thursday night game against the Colts and then uh, followed by a Monday night game the, the following week uh, um, against the Chargers. And so 11 days in between, they changed nothing. It was a carbon copy game plan. Um, and then you look at the bye weeks. You know they go and they win uh, in London against Jacksonville. Uh, you know last second comeback type of thing. They win twenty-one to seventeen. They don't change anything in the in the bye week. They come out with a carbon copy game plan. Of course they lose seventeen to ten at Tennessee. And so I haven't seen this uh, coaching staff change things up when they had time. I don't know how they'll change things up when they you know when they're pressed for time. They don't have that. Uh, uh, you know, extra week or, or extra half week to, to kind of look at themselves and, and change things. So, it, it, like I said, it's it's a puzzling situation. But, you know, when you give a guy a quarter of a million, a quarter of a billion dollars, <laughs> you know, you have to do what he wants. And, and I think, you know, he's looking, uh, he's looking at the long term, you know, uh, Russell, 
Uh, if he was looking at, you know, how can I win now? Maybe it's a different story, but uh, they're, they're in a little bit of a quagmire because, the, because they've done, uh, you know, they've, they've given him the keys to the castle. I mean, he has his, Russell Wilson has his own office in the building like Jeez. a coach does, you know, like an assistant coach does. He not only has his locker in his locker, he's got, uh, um, you know, his own office. Uh, they, they let him, you know, bring in his, uh, his own personal quarterbacks coach, his own personal masseuse and, and uh, chef and everything else. He's surrounded by a bunch of, you know, people that are, you know, team Russell Wilson. And yes, um, so, so that's what you have. You have a celebrity quarterback who's kind of running the show. Wow. Yeah, that's, that seems like a lot going on there in Denver with yeah. Russell Wilson and everything that they've rolled out. Again, Arnie Stapleton is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Just got a couple more quick questions for you. I've been talking about the defense as far as the Raiders go, and it's been bad this year, but it hasn't really been good in a long time. But when it was good, Arnie, for me, it was, oh, they were able to get to the quarterback and they were able to create turnovers. What is it that Denver, why is their defense so consistently good? Like, what do they specialize in? Well, I, you know, the thing is that there's, there's been some continuity, even though they've had head coaches that, that have changed. I mean, I, I think some of the concepts they're running with um, Evero right now, Jairo Evero, is, is the same things they were running with Wade Phillips, you know, a couple of regimes back. <clears throat> um, and, of course, with Vic Fangio. So a lot, of the, um, a lot of the verbiage and the terminology and the concepts have stayed the same. The schemes have sort of stayed the same. You know, Vic was the guy who kind of put in the – the um, the shell defenses, especially in the red zone, that everybody's copying now, and, and I think it's the main reason why we're seeing across the board, you know, offenses struggle a little bit more than they have traditionally. Um, so there's 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 a continuity in the in the concepts there, even though there's you know different coaching staffs uh, um, here in Denver, um, but they just uh, you know they they've got some sound players. They they keep plugging the holes on on defense. You know they're not they're not as successful. You know, bringing in offensive guys um, either through the draft or free agency, but they've been pretty good at it on defense. Um, so I think I think that's kind of the thread that that really ties it all together. Um, you've got you've got a terrific uh, cornerback in Pat Pat Sertan, um, and and a terrific safety in, in Justin Simmons. And then I think that Draymond Jones, a defensive lineman, he played a little bit of defensive end last week to to give him some. Um, some height on the edge after losing Bradley Chubb. I think I think he's a rising star. So you've got some some star power there too, you know, and some playmaking ability. Um, but but you know they're they're not they're they're great they're great defense, but they're not the kind of defense that is uh, scoring points. So I think they need to take the next uh, step up if if Russell Wilson's going to continue to struggle and and have some pick sixes or some scoop sixes and score themselves because you know they they're forcing other teams to, to punt all the time, but then Denver is just completely inept on offense and, and can't right. take advantage of it. So they've, they, they, this whole season has been a, a, a sort of they're wasting one of these best defenses in the NFL's history, um, which is kind of amazing. Like I said, if they only had a halfway decent offense, you know, if they were only 23rd in the league, they'd be 8-1. and We'd be talking about them like the Vikings or the, or the Eagles, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're talking about, you know, a seventh losing season in a row, a six, uh, six straight losing season, seven without the playoffs. Uh, it's certainly, I think they have a 3% chance of getting to the playoffs right now when you look at all the analytics. And, that, and that's about par for, um, you know, mid-November in, in Denver the last several years. Yeah, also the mention when you said that they were 23rd in offense, basically if they were to score, if they think it's 19 or 20 points I saw somewhere, they'd be 8-1. If we're putting even more context, all they had to do was just score 
20 points and they could be 8-1. and one. Something that I want to ask you yeah. about, you mentioned Nathaniel Hackett and he got some assurance from ownership, but these are new owners that the Denver Broncos have. Does it does it? Do you think they get the sense that Nathaniel Hackett could be on the hot seat on the hot seat because new ownership would, would maybe want to get some of their own guys in there? Well, I think the reason he's on the hot seat is compared to, to Josh. I mean, like, look, you know, uh, Mark Davis is not the the billionaire, super billionaire owner like like a lot of these teams have now, like the Broncos, right? So I don't know that he can eat a contract like Josh's, especially when he's still playing playing Gruden. I think, but. Um, so I, I think Josh is, is in a better situation because you can move on from your quarterback uh, after this year. Uh, the Broncos, they cannot move on from the, from the quarterback. I mean, the quarter-billion-dollar extension doesn't even kick in until after next season. So they're stuck with Russell Wilson, good or bad or indifferent. They're stuck with him. They're not necessarily stuck with Nathaniel Hackett because, like you said, the new owners come in. I mean, uh, you know, Rob Walton has $60 billion. He's the richest owner in, in the National Football League. Um, you know, buying out, a, um, uh, and again, I'm talking about other people's money, but, you know, <laughs> buying out for a few million uh, a head coach is, is like a $2 bet to you and me. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be nothing. So they could move on. And, and I think, you know, uh, Greg Penner in London, he came out and talked to a few reporters, and he said, look, you know, I, I still believe in, you know, that this guy can get the job done. But you kind of got the sense that he was saying, look, we need to see some more wins. We Maybe not necessarily against the Chiefs or the or, or, or on the road against Baltimore, but, you know, you, you got to beat Carolina. you got to beat Las Vegas. you got to beat these other teams that, you know, that you should be beating. I mean, they should have uh, they should have won, uh, you know, most of their games to this point, and, and now they're getting into the harder part of the schedule. But I think Greg Penner wants to see some, some progress and growth, um, or he could just very well pull the rug out from under him and say, okay, we're going in, in a different direction. I think... I think Nathaniel Hackett is definitely, even though he's gotten that vote of confidence from his GM and from his owner, I think he's definitely on the hot seat. I mean, I, I think he could be on the hot seat if he loses on, on Sunday. You know, I think uh, we might see them. Maybe they want to take a look at, at their defensive coordinator, who's doing great. You know, um, Evero, he, he might get a look-see here for the last couple months if, uh, you know, if that's the, the direction they want to go. I, I think the, the bigger travesty in, in, in their viewpoint might be you know, look, we stuck with Hackett, and it's just not working out, and, and we let Jairo Evero get away, and now he's, you know, in some other city, you know, turning things around. I, I mean, I think this, this guy is going to be hired in the next hiring cycle. Um, you, you know, so it would, be, it would be a shame if they let him get away. It sort of reminds me of when, you know, Ron Wolf didn't even interview Andy Reid, um, you know, back in... Well, right, right around the turn of the century, around 2000, and Andy goes, you know, from from quarterbacks coach to to head coach in Philadelphia, and then has a great career. And Ron Wolf didn't even give him an interview when he had an opening, um, you know, in Denver that in in Green Bay that same year. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's looming too. You know, like there's a there's a guy on uh, Nathaniel Hackett's staff that uh, they might want to take a look at, and that that might also kind of ease the uh, ease the opening of the door for Nathaniel. Well, I guess he didn't really, um, you know, turn too many heads when he said somebody's got to win this game, talking about the game on Sunday between the Raiders right. and yeah, the Broncos. The fact of the matter is that it's not true. I mean, I, I think the, it would be kind of sweet justice if these teams tied. You know, they, <laughs> I mean, look, the Broncos have had three overtime games, and, and uh, so they very well could have already had some ties. Um, I don't think anybody likes ties, but no. – uh, 
you know, with with these with these teams this weekend, maybe that would be the best for uh, everybody. Oh man, don't tell me that. I can only imagine a week of talking <laughs> about the Raiders tying with the Broncos. So there yeah. you go, Artie Stapleton from the AP. What do you got coming out that we should be on the lookout for? Um, I'm, I got a I got a, a cool little story about you know a couple weeks ago everybody made a big deal about Russell Wilson wearing the wristband and he, how he didn't want to do it in Seattle and and you know how a lot of quarterbacks love it and, and a lot of quarterbacks hate it you know it, it makes it easier for the head coach or for the play caller to get the call into the quarterback and let him get to the line and kind of survey the uh, defense and decipher things um, so uh, just a fun little story that'll be coming out later this week about uh, how some guys. Uh, just don't like the the, the wristband, uh, and so they they'd rather hear the long play call and then and and then relay it in the in the huddle. Um, so it, it became an issue here, kind of in a funny way. Yeah, so I figured I'd take a little deeper dive at it. There you go. Have fun with it, Arnie Stapleton from the AP. Thank you so much for your time. We do appreciate you as always, yeah. my man. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right, there he goes. Arnie Stapleton from the AP gave us a ton of his time right there as DeMond's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his next commercial break. <laughs> Sorry, DeMond. Yeah, well, yeah, come on, let's get to it. <laughs> 2.52 is the time. Do I have anything I need to give out? Should I ask for call number nine for anything? You know what? We'll worry about it later. All right, we'll do it later. 2.52 is the time. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Got a text from the 310. Big dub Raider, as a matter of fact. Man, hearing all the stuff the Broncos did for Russ, I want to know as a Peyton Manning fan because the Raiders never had a great quarterback in my era. I'm 37. What do they do for him? Jeez. Go Raiders. And that was pretty, pretty telling, man. When Arnie was breaking down everything that they did for Russell Wilson, game his own office. He's got his own team in there. I like how you described it, Demond. A bunch of yes men in there. He got his own chef in there. He's got Sierra singing the hits in their own student on. I'm putting the extras on it. She ain't got no hits like that. But uh yeah, man, they they did a whole lot, man. They rolled out the red carpet for one Russell Wilson, and now they owe owe him. A quarter of a billion dollars. 258 is the time. We'll come back, get your calls and texts, more of your calls and texts here on Red Nation Radio 920.